The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen but it does happen now look doc we're buddies okay but don't try to convert me i'm trying to prepare you my name's markway dr markway a scientist interested in the supernatural the unnatural if you like i came to hill house to find the key to another world assisting me in this exploration of the unknown was eleanor nell who could look back into the past and theo Something of a witch who could see into the future. This is Luke, who didn't believe in anything. Until evil, patient and waiting, made him change his mind. How many of us take seriously the things we cannot or do not want to understand simply because we are afraid? Eleanor, you're Paul! Did you hear me calling? This house. You have to watch it every minute. The Haunting was produced and directed by Robert Wise, brilliant producer of West Side Story. The stars consist of a cross-section of top talent in the world of entertainment. Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, Russ Tamblin. What does it take to convince you that the dead do not always rest in peace? That some houses, like Hill House, are born bad? guys welcome back to the tragedy of cinema podcast for this very special episode um we are actually not recording on a normal day this is actually a late night recording kyle barely looks awake so um i'm your host jimbo and joined once again by my co-host 
Kyle Zaner in the house. Kyle in the house. Not really. Uh, we're over Zoom because we have a very special guest with us tonight, all the way out from the West Coast. Well, West Coast, but she's in Central Coast, uh, close to Santa Barbara, California. We have Christine Collier with us. Christine, great to have you on the show today. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you guys. Hi there. So a little interesting background of how this came about. <laughs> about what was it, a month and a half ago, maybe, um, our good friends over at the Evil Never Dies podcast had it one of their uh, Zoom calls after they got done recording, and um, I just happened to pop in. I had the night off or the day off after work, so I popped in, and Christine was in there, and uh, Natasha was in there from Australia, and Brett and Carl, and um, B.A. Danny, uh, or Annie. Um, so we just sat there, and we just talked an hour and a half, two hours, just had some good times. And so I, I posed the question to the group that we were talking to was, what is your favorite horror movie? And um, Christine suggested, or well, she said this movie, well, which we'll be covering The Haunting from 1963. Um, so, Christine, can you tell us uh, why it is your favorite movie and of, of all time, out of all the horror movies, this is the one that you said that you like the most. Well, this film, um, I first saw it back in the 80s, and it was recommended to me by a friend of mine. And I love a good, scary movie. And when I say scary movie, I love a good psychological thriller. I, I don't necessarily like the slasher films, um, blood and gut films. For me, what makes a really good scary movie is something that I have to... Um, really think about a good psychological thriller and for me the the original haunting from 1963 uh based on a novel called the haunting of hill house by um shirley jackson which was published in 1959 just really hits really hits it on the head it's um it's a film it's black and white and it's just such a good psychological thriller it just, I mean, like I said, I saw, first saw it back in the 80s, and it's just stuck with me ever since. And it's just a, like a slow, uh, suspenseful, just really gets to you. Under and your skin. when we were sorry under your skin, yeah. And it, it's just a, a slow mental breakdown of this one character. And it Oh, it's just creepy and it's just a true haunted house film and to this day it's just one of my favorites yeah when i was watching this movie i kind of got the feeling of um the 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 house on haunted hill with vincent price it kind of kind of had some of that same creep factor to it um yeah it's black and white i think it is shot beautifully um because they use like a special camera that like curve the walls and everything so you feel like you're suffocating in this house you know what i mean like you feel this eleanor i believe is her name you know you feel her and yes. you think she's she's going crazy <laughs> i mean from the beginning the time you meet her you think she's going crazy and but we'll get to it um so as usual um on every episode we usually do unless i feel generous to kyle every once in a while i throw a question out there at the beginning of the episode this week i have two this is the first one at the beginning and i'll have one at the end of the show so, Kyle and Christine, uh, my question to you is, number one, what is the scariest movie you have ever saw? 
or and what um, is the uh, most scared you have been while watching a movie? Oh, it doesn't have to be horror related for the scared, but I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah, I was definitely too young around the end, uh, the Saw franchise when that came out. And I was way too early to watch those films. And that kind of left some memories that would kind of scarred me for life, but in like a disgusting horde kind of way <laughs> that uh, probably doomed me for that whole genre forever. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I would say probably one of the Saw movies definitely kind of like maybe the most just completely tensed out and just like, no, I'm not okay anymore. This is all bad. <laughs> Nothing's good at all in the world. Uh, <laughs> so that'd probably be for me, probably the most uh, uncomfortable in a movie theater. <laughs> Okay, and then do you think that's the scariest movie you've ever seen? Scariest movie I've ever seen? Uh, I might have to come back to you on that one because I'm not actually sure. Okay. Um, what about I, you, I, I also kind of I like the fall more on the the suspenseful movies that kind of create that that layer of unease, but necessarily don't necessarily create like a, a level of like complete horror to me. Um, I'm trying to think, movies that really get like I don't know, like movies like like. The Mothman prophecy are like the most horrifying movies to me, or something like that. But like, that's not a really a hard movie. That's more of a suspense psychological thriller thing of just like, oh, you're everyone's mm-hmm. actually crazy, and the secrets of the universe will play against you in a way <laughs> that always gets under my skin in a cool like sci-fi fun sense. But still, I wouldn't say it's the scariest movie I've ever seen. So I guess I give bad answers to this one. Sorry, um, Christine. How do you feel? <laughs> What's the most scary you've ever been in a movie theater or something like that, or in a movie? <laughs> um, for me, um, I would. One besides the haunting, um, the the strangers. That was a pretty scary movie for me with Leave Allman. Am I saying her last name right? Um, she's the rock singer's daughter. Yeah, uh, Arwen from Lord of the Rings, Kyle. Um, Liv Tyler. Liv Tyler, thank you. Yeah, yeah. The strangers. That was the masks that the that the bad guys wore and they just kind of like showed up at the house that was pretty that was and the exorcist was also i was really young when that came out and that i think that to this day kind of still holds up Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, yeah i think most of the the scariest movies are the ones that aren't slasher movies but are the ones that could be true um like the the strangers that could totally be true you know what i mean with people coming out the wrong turn um, oh, wrong like, uh, ransom, like with Mel Gibson with ransom, where they kidnap his son, you know what I mean? Just stuff like that really gets under my skin because it could really happen, you know what I mean? And 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 that to me, that's scary. The but horror probably, is the random psychopath. <laughs> probably the scared dust I have ever been in my life is I was just a young kid, probably three, maybe I remember three. I, I, there used to be a local television show host, kind of like Elvira. But uh, his name was Sammy Terry. And Kyle, I don't know if you're old enough to remember Sammy Terry here in Indiana, but he used to either come on late late night theater uh, Friday or Saturday nights. And there was a movie on that when I came around the corner, I saw a guillotine coming down and chopping off a lady's head. Okay. (laughs) I was like, and to come to find out, the name of the movie is Two on a Guillotine starring Cesar Romero, who played the Joker in the Batman 1966 um it's a very interesting movie if you get a chance to watch it um because he's like a a magician uh i don't want to ruin it but when i saw that it scared me and probably the close second to that is probably the original fog 
when uh, the pirates uh, show up in the church and it just lights up. And man, that scared me as a kid so much. Um, I still have memories of that that just give me goosebumps. And but but that I like that that The Fog is probably my favorite horror movie, um, just from the reaction I had when I was a child. But if you get a chance to see uh, Two on a Guillotine, I highly recommend it. Yes, Kyle. What? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm looking on my Voodoo real quick to see which horror movies really got to me recently. I oh, think, you mean um, you mean you've actually watched some of them on your Voodoo? <laughs> yes, yes, I've watched some. Of them. I, I think overall, my whole collection, I've watched maybe less than ten percent of the movies I own. Right. But still, um, the most recent one that had me like generally unease the most was um, Green Room in tw- 2016. What was it's, it called? Uh, what? What was the it called? Room, the color green room. The green room. Yeah. Hmm. And it's about a uh, a um, a punk band that ends up performing a concert at a uh, basically a neo-Nazi um bar and uh things go very terribly wrong and the the neo-Nazis surely trap this punk band in the building and proceeds to try and like slowly kind of massacre them to cover up a crime that was committed. And hmm. uh Everything goes horribly, horribly wrong in that series, and it's very, very gruesome. It was one of Anton Yelchin's last films, too, before he sadly passed away, mm-hmm. and also has Patrick Stewart in it, too. And it's, uh, it's an incredible film, but deeply unsettling, because just because the um, the levels of uh, of violence that goes into it and cold-heartedness and the ways they try and do to get away with the crime. <laughs> All right. yeah. Well, Just a shout-out right. to that movie. It was really good. <laughs> um, I think we've rambled on long enough about that question. So, uh, Kyle, let's go ahead and... Um... This is going to be kind of different than what we normally do because we do have a guest on here and she has actually read the book. So I'm very interested to see the differences between the book and the movie. Maybe we'll we'll pop in here towards the end and, and see if she can help um, explain to us the differences. I do believe there are more, there's more characters in the book. Am I, am I correct that I read yes. somewhere? Okay. And the, some of the um, liberties that they took with the movie are more expounded on in the book, I'm sure. Um, like the doctor, uh, or the the doctor's different in the book, yeah. Right. So, uh, Kyle, let's go ahead and jump in at the beginning of this, do our normal stuff, and then we'll get to some notes. And then we'll have uh, Christine Hour, <laughs> where she can take over the show. <laughs> Sounds excellent. Sounds excellent. Here we go. All right, we have the Haunting, released in 1963, uh, made for a budget of approximately. And this is where I get a little bit of complexion because IMDb says made for the budget of $1.4 million. But for the budget on Wikipedia states it has $1.05 million. So that's about a you know um $350,000 discrepancy there. But I don't know for sure which one has the best source on that. So between one and a half and 1.1 million, we'll say right around there. Box office, very large disparity here on the box office side, but I think it's because <laughs> of international uh, release dates. But on IMDb, it says it has a, a gross worldwide box office of $742, which would be one of the worst bombs of history. Probably the worst bomb of history, actually, if you did that kind of math. Uh, but box office on Wikipedia it says 1.02 million, and it has a source, so I believe that's the more accurate one for certain. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Haunting was directed by director Robert Wise, and writers were Nelson Gidling of the screenplay and Shirley Jackson, who wrote the original novel, The Haunting of Hill House. Composer was Humphrey Seal, and cinematographer was da- was Davis Bolton. Quick plot summary of the film right here: We have Doctor Markway doing re- uh, yeah Markway doing research to prove the existence of ghosts. Investigates Hill House, a large eerie mansion with lurid history of violent death and insanity. With him and a skeptical young Luke who stands to inherit the house, 
the mysterious and clairvoyant Theodore and an insecure Eleanor whose psychic abilities make her feel somehow attuned to whatever spirits inhabit the old mansion. As time goes by, uh, it becomes obvious that it have gotten more than they have bargained for, but the ghostly presence of the house manifests itself into horrific and deadly waves. Quick little summary right there. Moving on here, we have some technical specs. We have a runtime of approximately 112 minutes. Sound mix is a mono recording from West Trek's recording system. Color info: This is a color. Uh, this is a black and white film, not a color film. <laughs> black and white film released in 1963. Aspect ratio is a wide angle at 2.35 by one, and the film length is 3,065 meters. Moving on, we have the awards section here. For the awards, we have in 2022 this year, right now. We have the Online Film and Television Association, which which added the film to the Film Hall of Fame. So it'd be remembered there. So even if it was kind of a, a bomb back in the day, it's being remembered now as an excellent film. That's excellent. Um, and 2014, it was also added to the... Um, it was also given the Best DVD and Blu-ray Special Edition release for from the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. And in 1964, it was actually nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Director, which would have been given to Robert Wise had he won. Hey, Kyle. Yes. J- uh, just so you know... Um... A lot of times when we do these older movies, they're in the National Regist- uh, Film Registry for Preservation. Um, although this film's widely acknowledged as a masterpiece in supernatural horror, as of 2021, it has not yet been included into the National Film Registry for Preservation purposes. So I thought that was very interesting, too. Huh. Well, hopefully one day. This, yeah, this, 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 this podcast here will move the needle enough. We'll get it on there. <laughs> two, right. two people to the right. <laughs> okay okay uh moving on here i'm gonna move to the cast now we have julia harris playing the character of eleanor lance julia harris was also in the films east of eden in 1955 a film which we covered here on this very podcast james dean movie yeah exactly i am the camera also in 1955 the member of the wedding in 1952 and harper in 1966 next up we have claire bloom playing theodora claire bloom was also in the films um, the the spy who came from in oh who came in from the cold in 1965, <laughs> limelight in 1952, and the illustrated man in 1969. Next up, we have Richard Johnson playing the character of Doctor John Markway. Richard Johnson was also in the films um, Deadlier Than the Male in 1967, a film of <laughs> very questionable quality given by its cover. Um, <laughs> some girls do in 1969. <laughs> Dr. Markway was mentioning films, <laughs> and, and take all of me in 1976. Um, those you know, you know, one of these days we're just gonna have to have a, a real talk where we just discuss the most absurd names of movies that they have been made. <laughs> um, next up, we have Rust um Tamblin playing the character of Luke Sanderson. Um Russ was also in the film Seven Brides for Seven Brothers in 1954. Good movie. Tom Thumb in 1958. That's a good movie, and too. And The War of the Gargantuas in, ni- uh, yeah, Gargantuas in 1966. Wow, that looks like a movie I should watch someday. <laughs> and let's see here. Um, Next up, we have who we got here. We got Faye Compton plays Mrs. Sanderson. She was also in the film Othello in 1951. Don't have the other films on hand here for her. Next up, we have Rosella Crutchley playing Mrs. Dudley. 
She was also in the film Four Weddings and a Funeral in 1994. Next up, we have Lewis Maxwell playing Grace Markway. She was in the film Thunderball in 1965. Then we have Valentine Dwal playing Mr. Dudley. Valentine was also in the film The City of the Dead in 1960. Then we have Diana Clark playing Carrie Fredericks. She was in the film Persuasion in 1960. Then we have Ronald Adam playing Eldridge Harper. Ronald Adam was also in the film Around the World in 80 Days in the original 1956 version. Hmm. Next up, we have Pamela Buckley playing first Mrs. Kane, uncredited in the role, actually. She was also in the film The Wednesday Play in 1964. And we also have Amy Dalby playing Abigail Crane. She was in the um, Abby Dalby, who plays Abigail Crane, the H80 version, the old, old lady version. She was also in the film The Wicked Lady in 1945. Then and finally, we have Howard Lang playing the original Hugh Crane, pictured at the very beginning of the film, and he was also in the London Line in 1971, and that is the cast of Haunting. Let's see here. Okay. All right, got the cast, technical details, awards, and that's done there. Jimbo, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right, Kyle. Thanks for asking. Um <laughs> So I think before I dive into some of the trivia, uh, we'll go ahead and let Christine talk for a bit uh, since she did request this episode and I asked her to come on and do it with us. So, um, Christine, can you yes. uh, give uh, an oversight of the book um, compared to the movie? Um, maybe some differences uh, from the book and the movie. Um, did they do something better in the movie than they did in the book? Usually the book's always better, um, just from your perspective. In my opinion, um, <clears throat> the well, the book was better than, than the movie. I don't know if they did anything better in the movie than they did in the book. Um, the book had, the book took place, well, the movie, I think, only took place over, what, three nights? I think so. Yes. Yeah, yeah the, the book took place over a week. And the book had a lot more happen outside than did inside. Like the movie, they did everything inside. It was all interior. And I think they did that um, on purpose because they wanted it to be much more claustrophobic. Yeah. Yeah. I I believe I'm saying that right. Yeah. And um, in the book, there's a lot, a lot more happened outside than did inside. Um, A lot of the paranormal stuff took place like uh, around this, uh, there, there was this really nice uh, babbling brook, and um, they really wanted, like Eleanor, the the main character, she really wanted to do this uh, picnic, her and Theodora, and um, a lot of the psychological stuff took place outside too. Like she kept hearing these uh, these voices and stuff, and she kept thinking that it was Theodora and Luke talking to her, and she would get lost in her head, but it wasn't them. It was it was Hill House like messing with her. Yeah, and what? Yeah, and the 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 book delves a lot more into the whole psychological aspect of the house. Just um, it was almost like the house seducing her into her her madness. Now, now I have a question. In the book, mm-hmm. um, I know I know in the movie that we just watched that she's trying to escape and, and she wants to go somewhere um, that she just, you know, one day I'll live here with this gated fence and all this in the book. Does, 
is she driven to Hill House? Like, 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 urged to keep going to Hill House? Is she invited by the doctor? How does she come around yes. with that in the book? Yeah, it's, it's it's the same in the book as it is in the movie. Um, in the book, the doctor is much older, and he's not um, like in in the in the movie. He's a stashing guy that isn't forthright <laughs> with the fact that he's married. You know, right? In the book, he he's this older uh, psychiatrist. Um, I don't know, par- parapsychologist, I guess right. is what he is. And, um, you know, he he wants to do this experiment in a haunted house. And he writes letters to a whole bunch of people that have had psychic experiences. And the only two that respond, just like in the book, are Eleanor and the- Theodora. And so sa- same as in the movie, um, Eleanor has had this experience with stones being thrown um, at the house. And so she she sees this has a has a vacation, you know, a chance to get away. Like the the whole thing with her is nothing has ever happened to her. You know, she spent her whole life um, just taking care of her elderly mother, and her sister has really had a life, and she hasn't. Oh, and another thing um, in the book is Hugh Crane. In the book or in the movie, Hugh Crane only had one daughter, Abigail. In the in the book, he has two daughters. Mm. So it's it's kind of interesting because in the in the book, Hugh Crane had two daughters. Um, Eleanor is has a sister, so it's kind of like a parallel with with the book and the movie. You know, two daughters, and um, <clears throat> so Eleanor sees this has a chance for her to for her whole life. She just wants she's waiting for something to happen to her. Mm. You know, so she. So she sees this as a chance for something to happen to her, a chance to get away. And um, so she's drawn to Hill House. You know, she really wants to go there. Mm-hmm. And and it's the same thing with her sister not wanting her to take the car, but the car is half her. So she sneaks out like she does in the movie. Mm-hmm. And she has this little fantasy built up about, um, you know, just getting away in the two stone lions. That's the same thing. So they are pretty faithful about following um, the the book to certain points, but there are many more characters mm-hmm. in, in the book. Um, and um, are the, is the uh, the uh, the guardsman and the maid, uh, or the groundsman and the maid in the book too? The the Dudleys. Oh yeah, are... yeah. That the Dudleys are there, and um, she's very much the same in the movie as she is in the book. You know, very precise about when she sets out you know, breakfast and lunch and dinner, and she refuses to stay after dark. Mm. And her husband is the very same curmudgeonly way. And <laughs> I thought he was funny in the movie. I kind of liked him. I'm trying yeah. to, I wish he's I would have watched him. As soon as he's introduced, I noticed that a lot. Like, as soon as you see him, everything kind of gets diffused and it's a lot more fun and active. Like, <laughs> oh, don't worry about this. It's haunted, whatever. And <laughs> oh, yeah. she, she says, you know, she pulls up, she says, is, is, uh, is there anybody in there? He's like, nobody that you would want to see. You know what I mean? I was, <laughs> oh, but um, yeah, she, she's the first to arrive. Right. I she's wish I would have went arrive. back. I wish I would have went back and watched <laughs> The Haunting of Hill House before or after this movie just to see. You know what I mean? Uh, between that and the book, because there's a lot more characters in the Haunting of Hill House, if I remember correctly. You know what I mean? Um, in, in the book. Well, I mean the Haunting of Hill House, the the Netflix show. I, there's a lot oh. more characters in that too. Yes, it's, a, it's a, the Netflix show. It's a big family, right? That right. that live in the house, yeah, and it's actually 
it's, I think there it's is like a, a happy kind of ending. I think there is a Theo in that, if I remember. I think they use some of the same names, if I remember. Um, they might I wish have. I, I wish I, I wish I would have read the book, watched this. There's a remake in there somewhere in like 1994, I think. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then uh, The Haunting of Hill House, just to see how The Haunting of Hill House, the Netflix series, matched up with the book. Um, but I know there's some differences there, too. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I watched the Netflix series. Um, it was very different. And it was um, a happy ending. It was nothing. It was nothing like the book. Nothing like the the, the movie. Right. Um, yeah. It seems like at the very at the very least, like for this original release, the you know any concessions made were in like the value of like time and budgetary time. Yes. Lighting, you know, or doing like natural lighting outside or something like that. So it's like okay, let's confine this strictly to the mansion. That's where, like, the heart of the film has to be, anyways. You have to have a mansion. Yes. You don't necessarily have to have the outdoors for these scenes. So, right. I, I think, like, this film, um, probably more than all the other adaptations, probably stripped it as like, closely as it possibly could. And no, I think it really cool. did. Yeah. So that's, the, the, that's all the cinema. key, yeah, all the key elements that they needed were there. Um, the, the, the main haunting, you know, in the house were there. I think they really they made it as true as they could to, to the book. Mm hmm. Like the, the the main scares um, that needed to be there were there. Now I read, I think it's in here in the notes somewhere. Let me see if I can find it real quick. But that they said that, um, yeah, here it is, right here. Theo um, was a lesbian. I don't know if it's like that in the book. Uh, so I'm going to read you what the, some of the original script said here, and then we'll talk about if it was in the book or not. So. The uh, script originally contained a scene early in the film, which Theodore is shown in her apartment in the city. It is clear from the context that she has just broken off with her female lover. I hate you is written on the mirror and lipstick. Theodore is yelling curses at her out the window and more. However, Wise decided to cut the scene, believing it to be too explicit for a film that worked hard to make things implicit. Um, there's that. And then there's also, according to Julie Harris, film censors demanded that Theo never be shown to touch Eleanor in order to keep the lesbianism less obvious. Nevertheless, they touch several times, including when Theo is sitting on her bed. The theme is re uh, reinforced when Eleanor calls Theo a mistake of nature uh, in the film. So I didn't know if that was tied into the book or if that's something that they took liberties on in the script. No, it was just implied in the book. In the book? Yeah, it was just implied. Um, she In the book, it just says that she had a fight with um her her roommate and things were said and she left so it is just uh just 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 implied it's, was there, there's was nothing there, overt was there any um affection towards theo and eleanor in the book no no okay i just want to make sure before we dive down a whole nother rabbit hole that we set some yeah some things straight I, so yeah I, I am shocked that actually that that was like in the, the original script and they filmed a scene presumably because like i, I I didn't want to mention it because I feel like it'd be cliche for me to say for some reason. They're like, like I got like lesbian's advice from, <laughs> but I didn't realize that that was explicit in the film to some degree. That's pretty right. Common. I mean, uh, um, and, you know, and, yeah, same time that I feel it was almost like a, a taboo for taboo shake. It just adds a a risque value to the film and like could have been like a marketing move at some point. It doesn't feel like it in any way is saying anything about lesbianism or um or uh, uh whatever indecency for the time or something like that. Right. However, they wanted to find yeah. those kind of words, but uh, yeah. which is surprising because it's 1959. So I think it was even um, illegal back then to. Well, this to, was to, just to, 40, to be gay. 
four years, four years later. You know what I mean? So it's not like yeah. they had a lot of time in between. Um, no. Yeah. So I, I guess like, yeah, it feels like it, was like it would have been like immediately taboo just from that sense. It would have made the film provocative in some way. Um, but cutting it out altogether. And I don't think anyone else, you know, noticed when you cut it out, no one actually got that vibe. So they just stuck with that instead. But I guess it's like too provocative to even acknowledge that the lesbian woman exists in the first place. Yeah. Or is yeah. there could care less. Right. So yeah, very subtle, if at all. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't really get that from, from the book. I did like Luke um, when he goes into the library. He's like, I could make a fortune selling all these books. You know? oh. I thought that is hilarious because that's the first thing I would do. My daughter loves books. I mean, if we go to the bookstore, she comes out with like a sack. And I'm like, did you read all the ones before? And she's like, no. I mean, I probably have, I don't know, 1,500 books just in the room I'm in plus what's in her room. And I'm like, why don't you stop buying and read some of the ones that you have before you go buy more? You know what I mean? I said, Next thing you know, you'll be telling me to buy, watch the movies I buy. Or exactly, Kyle. It's a safe like, no, The whole point is collecting them and then one day hoping I retire and have the time to watch all these things. <laughs> well, like me, I have, <laughs> I have pretty much the whole Clive, Clive Cussler uh, hardbacks that I found at Goodwill. And I said, you know what? I'm going to pick an author and I'm just going to start reading. And, and, and they had them all in hardback. I found one that was autographed in there. Uh, so I, I got them and, you know, I'm almost through one, but there's like <laughs> 80 of them over here. So it's going to take me the rest of my life probably, or after life to get those read. There you go. Um, so, um, so I did like Luke. I thought Luke brought a little comedic, uh, cause he's the one that's, do, uh, about ready to inherit the house. And I thought, um, in the book and yes. the movie, the, uh, the lady that owns the house, she says it's, he needs to go with you. You know what I mean? Um, is is that in the book too, where she forces him to go? If you're going, you're taking him with you to see. Yeah, in the book, he is um, kind of the, the, the rakish figure, um, just like in in the movie. In the book, the house uh, was inherited by the um, the um, I'm I'm blanking here. The um, estate or. No, the the one daughter who died, it was her um, nurse or the the, the village girl that took care of her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gosh, it it was inherited by her. And in the book, Hugh Crane had two daughters. One got married. Right. And one stayed in the house. And the one that stayed in the house, it was the local village girl who took care of her. And so she fought to keep the house because she said that the sister that stayed left it to her. Mm. And yeah. And so she had a distant aunt or something after she committed suicide, just like in the movie. Was she the one that hung herself at the spiral staircase? Yes. Yeah. 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 Just like in the book. Yeah. And she kept saying that, oh, you know, people are, she kept thinking that the other sister um, because the other sister fought her to try and get the house back to, to, till she hung herself. And she kept saying that um, the other sister was trying to break in. But mm. the other sister maintained that, no, I never tried to break into the house. So it was the house was messing with, messing her. with her. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. So, so the. Oh, go ahead. Oh, so yeah, the house wa- wanted her. So it's, you know, the thing about um, the house drove people insane, which it ended up doing 
to, to Eleanor. Is there anything in the book that actually kind of like goes on to elaborate to any degree at all why the house overall is haunted? Because I never really got a thorough explanation in the film itself. It's just like, it's haunted because it's haunted. Or it's haunted because it was made in Massachusetts, which I guess is reason enough. But I, I didn't know if there's any more excuse than that. It's just why it's a, you know. It was just a house. bad, a bad house. It's a bad house. The house, the house was, the house itself was bad. I mean, it says at the beginning of the book that whatever walks there walks alone, you know. Yeah, right. I, 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 I do like that absence of excuse. It adds to the mystery, I guess. Like, there's nothing at all about why it's haunted. It just is. But Kyle, if you were paying attention in the movie, as I am looking at this note, um, there is a, actually a tree at the house that kills every 90 years, if you were paying attention. so Now, in the book, it's every 80 years, right? which, so, I, which I thought was interesting. The book, the house is 80 years old. In the movie, it says 90 years. 90. So I don't know why the dis- disreferency there. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, the date of Eleanor's death is October uh, 21st, 1963, as confirmed by the book from the library that Luke reads aloud. Uh, Markway points out that her car crashed against the same tree as the first Mrs. Crane did 90 years before. Uh, Eleanor's spirit says at the end of the movie, the house has stood for 90 years and might stand for 90 more, possibly suggesting her own death was an appeasement sacrifice that the house expects every 90 years. So... Um, if you if you remember the beginning of the movie, you know the lady that dies in the carriage. Uh, mm-hmm. that's it. Then you have what was the one that was banging on the wall, you know, trying to get the nurses thing. She died in in her bed or whatever. He had the because she was out there making out with the guy on the veranda. Or whatever, As her you do, boyfriend. yeah. You know, and then you have the, the village girl, just, the little girl, yeah, the one that hung herself, and then you have the girl that just laid in bed and grew old. And that's I can see Kyle doing that. I'm not getting up, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I thought that was really well done, though. The the camera work and the age progression on the the little from the little girl as she laid there and got older and older and older, especially for uh, 1963, uh, very well done. Uh, so um, yeah, that age progression. Yeah. yeah. So I'll go ahead and start reading through some of this trivia, so we can move along. And then, if you want to stop and talk about anything that I that I come across or came across, we can discuss it even further from the book to the movie. Uh, the names on the blackboard in Doctor Markway's office are all friends or family of the writer Nelson Gidding. Uh, Albert Trapuck was his stepfather. Charles Stern, Ruth Murray, Rufus Matthewson, and Paul Kirshner were friends. And Joshua Walden was his then 14-year-old son. So he threw a little bit of huh. you know, name recognition there from his own family and friends, which I thought was pretty cool. Nice shout-out. Yeah. Um, the director, Robert Wise, read a review of Shirley Jackson's novel, The Haunting of Hill House, in Time magazine and decided to get the rights to the novel. He later met the writer herself to talk about ideals for the film. He asked her if she had thought of other titles for the novel because the title would not work for the film. She told him that the only other title she had considered was simply The Haunting. So Wise decided to use it for his film. So the actual The Haunting movie name was actually from the writer of the book. I thought that was pretty cool, too. Yeah, uh, Robert Wise had been on a contract with MGM and owed them one more film, so he brought The Haunting to them. They would only give him $1 million to shoot this film, and Wise insisted that he needed a bigger budget. In the end, he brought the project over to MGM in London, where they were willing to give him $1.05 million, among other cost savings and tax breaks. So he accepted and decided to do the film over in England. So that might be some of that discrepancy in the budget, you know what I mean, from... Yeah, that's probably where the Wikipedia actually got it, too. So that probably... I would say the 1.05 is probably a lot more accurate than the 1.4 million it says on IMDb. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Uh, this says uh, Claire uh, Bloom was intrigued to play the role of a woman who was attracted to another woman. She said she got along with everyone on the set except for Julie Harris, who tried everything to avoid her and not talk to her. At the end of the shoot, Harris went over to Bloom's house with a present and explained that the reason she had kept to herself was to stay in character, which it worked. Um, because Harris's role in the film was that of an outsider that none of the others understood or will listen to. Bloom was happy to hear the real reason behind Harris's behavior since Bloom stated that she really liked Harris and could not understand what she herself had done wrong to treat be treated like that by one of her co-stars. So I think sometimes though actors and actresses they 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 go they get in character and they don't ever break character till they leave the set. Um the one that comes to mind right off the bat is Jim Carrey uh, when he portrayed uh, Andy Kaufman in The Man in the Moon. I heard yeah. he was just really terrible uh, the whole time he was filming that. You know what that, I mean? As that, far as that that documentary about it's amazing. Yes, that was a great documentary if you ever see it. Um, Russ Tamblin uh, was not very interested in playing the role of Luke Sanderson until MGM threatened him to resign his contract. Years later, you confirmed that Sanderson was his best role by far for years, yeah. probably because, hey, I almost got fired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Excellent. Uh, this is probably another budgetary reason. The exterior of Hill House in the film was not a set, but an actual house. Eddington Park Hotel in Warwickshire, England. Although all the interiors were carefully designed sets on sound stages, uh, while shooting exterior night scenes on location at the real house, Russ Tamblin has shared a story of having uh, chosen to take a stroll through a cemetery at the rear of the property and having had an experience nearly as terrifying as the film itself. You can hear his story on the commentary track included on the DVD of the film. So I, I might have cool. to go find the DVD. I mean, I, I got like one of them little uh, disc replays or something over here where I can go try to find it on DVD and pull that up. But that'd be pretty cool to hear what is. I'll this. check YouTube, see if I can find that somewhere. If I can find that, I'll post it in the Facebook group. I'm sure you will. Millennial. I do post on the Facebook group. <laughs> Why don't you make it your first TikTok, Kyle? <laughs> don't have a link for it. Uh, director Martin Scorsese, you know who that is, uh, Kyle? I've heard of him once or twice. Yeah. Well, he named this his favorite horror film. He sure did. His favorite horror film. That's awesome. Wow. Yep. Okay. Interesting choice. <laughs> Martin Scorsese. Huh. Uh, this is what uh, we were talking about earlier with Christine, that uh, Nelson Giddings' initial concept for the script was that Eleanor had experienced a nervous breakdown, had been hospitalized, and that the house was the hospital. No, this is what we're talking about. We were talking about that she was actually experiencing a nervous breakdown on the set. But uh, originally, it was uh, he brought the concept to the, the book lady and said, uh, the writer of the book, and said, hey, let's have her have a nervous breakdown and, and hospitalized, and that the house was going to be the hospital, and the other character were going to be the staff and patients. And the booms and knockings were the result of shock treatments. Uh, the entire story would have been inside the head of a mentally ill woman. However, upon discussing this with the author, Shirley Jackson, who simply regarded it as a haunted house story, he decided to backpedal on the idea, but still implies Eleanor's crumbling sanity in his final script. So how would you have thought about that version of the film? No. I don't I think, think so. Been, I think it would have been fine as a film on its own, but just don't tie it into the haunting book. Yeah. You know, totally different. Yeah. Kind of, totally different it kind of would almost be like a Twilight Zone episode, I think. Could be. That was kind of the overall vibe I got of this whole film, actually. I felt like it was almost like an extended Twilight Zone episode in many ways. And uh, if they went that direction you just mentioned, I would have agreed with you even more than it was definitely a Twilight Zone episode at that point. 
but uh i think that'd be an interesting film but it's not the haunting at that point and i think right be, i agree with like that's a different movie <laughs> no. uh robert why shot the film in black and white because he loved the depth and rich atmospheric quality of black and white film for this uh for the genre of this film and felt it would be perfect to enhance the moody psychological quality of the story it didn't hurt that the uh, studio contract specified that the film must be shot in black and white too so it seems yeah. really didn't have a choice <laughs> There's something you uh, sell the decision regardless if it was yours or not. <laughs> you know, there's just, I don't know how you guys feel, but there's just something about a good black and white movie, man, that I just love. I, I, I mean, 12 Angry Men, uh, mm-hmm. just the, the Universal Monsters. There's just something about when a movie shot in black and white that I I, I think I like it better than the colored versions of them. I think I think it goes back to like kind of like that that less is more approach that having that lack of uh, color or detail allows you to kind of fill in the gaps of your own mind and uh, focus on what is like there most. You know, if you see the man's, you, know, you can see the faces, you can see the darkness, but you don't have to. You don't have to get overwhelmed by all these details that are um, non-essential to the overall story. That you can just focus on what is the purest thing there, and that makes it all the richer for it. And so it's a lesser more approach for me. Why why I like like black and white films or. Well, I really love the Technicolor films, as we discussed in our last Robin Hood podcast. Robin Hood. Yeah, I just think when they like like Wizard of Oz and stuff like that's filmed in Technicolor. I just think the the colors are so vibrant. It's it's it gives beautiful. like a jovial liveliness to it that I really appreciate. And actually, I think that would be a direct disservice for a horror film. Actually, right? You know, if Technicolor would be so lively. I'd be like, I can't be mad. It looks so colorful. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Christine? What's that? Do you prefer black and white or colored films? I, I I like color, but I think for some things like the haunting, the black and white really worked. Um, there's also something that I read in here that I can throw in if you don't mind. Whatever you want to throw in, it's your show. Okay. Well, in reading this, I I thought this was pretty interesting. Um, he was talking about why he used a 30 millimeter, let's see if I'm pronouncing this right, anamorphic wide angle lens Panavision camera mm-hmm. that was not... Mm-hmm that was not technically ready for use and caused distortions. Yeah. That's probably why it looks kind of creepy on the sides and everything. That's what, yeah. Usually it was only given, high quality. Yeah. It said it was only given to Weiss on condition that he used, that he signed a memorandum in which he acknowledged that the lens was imperfect. So um, yeah, he used that specifically, I guess, to make it look more creepy. Oh yeah. And it worked. I mean, yeah. It worked. it worked big time. Loved it. And I guess, Two on on the um, interior sets, they deliberately put ceilings on them to make it mm-hmm. seem more claustrophobic. Yeah, because you could tell, like, it, it was always, like, closing in. Now, we'll, we'll get back to the notes here a second. Now, what did you think about the scene in the movie where they all come into that room and there's the statue with the uh, the, the two lovers and the handmaid and the dog? You know what I mean? Oh, the, the big white statue? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty creepy. That was also in the book. Yeah, but, and she uh, and she dances around it at one right. point. Yeah, yeah, just just another weird thing that she kind of goes into herself, you know, at one point. Yeah, because uh, I think it's Luke that says, "Well, why don't you why don't you dance for us or some or dance for him?" And then she's like, "Ah, oh, no, I'm not." And then the next thing you know, that door opens up with the wind or whatever, and then she starts mm-hmm. around, which later on in the film. She does it again when she goes back into she that She does room. it again, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I at one point, cool throwback. Yeah. At one point in the book, um, I think it's in the book, I think it's like the last night she um 
she she starts running around the house by herself and everybody's looking for her and she's like hiding from everybody. It's when she's really kind of losing it. And she runs into the room with that big stone statue thing. And she's and that's when she starts dancing with it. Yeah, pretty creepy. Yeah, it's very creepy. Intentional was or not, but I think it gives like um, in the in the movie itself, like it doesn't really like not for the audience, but for Eleanor as a character, it gives her the opportunity to put like a personification on the haunting she's experienced. To she can always look at those statues and see like the ghostly presence in her own mind in that way as she continues to kind of like deteriorate her you know mind from these hauntings. So it's really kind of cool to give her something basically act off of uh, doing that dancing scene and like, you know, stuff. So and if you if you watch that scene um when they when they all leave and it zooms in on the, the I think it's one of the the, the lovers and the handmaid standing behind her. I mean, they, they, you can see the people walking behind the door, leaving, and they's in there, and I for sure thought one of those heads were going to move or blink or something, you know, because yeah. I was so intense <laughs> watching it, and the music, I'm like, this is either going to be a jump scare or something really cool, and no, I just went on, yeah. and I was like, man, what a missed opportunity, you know, you had, had like that early 2000s vibe, vibe they would have totally done it, totally done it. Pull the trigger, you know? <laughs> it's like, like, it's I, like, what's in your head, you know, because you can imagine it. Right, I thought it was well yeah. done. Uh, for, the whole thing was all done. Yeah, for uh, some of the scenes in which characters are tormented by the loud, uh, ghostly sounds coming from the house, Robert Wise had the sounds on playback so that the actors could react to them authentically. It was a technique that they found very useful and effective for creating uh, just the right mood of terror. So I have a question. When Eleanor first hears, you know, what what do you think that was banging down the wall? Or, you know, I mean, I think she says the reference something about like uh, throwing, uh, tossing a cannonball at the wall or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, I was trying trying to think of what that sounded like, and I couldn't really come up with anything. The loud banging. Like, yeah, well, not the banging. Well, yes, yeah, like uh, it's almost like a drum beating, but it, it was different. You know, I mean, it was like you it know, just it sounded like, like just like thunder or something. Almost, it was so loud. Right. I thought down the hall, right? Down the hallway. Right. And then, yeah. And then also when um, I thought what else was really well done, and I think it's when she, it's it's either when she's by herself or when she runs to Theo's room and they're on the bed and that noise mm-hmm. and they're watching and, the, and they're watching it go, you know, it just shows the wall, right? And it goes down and then it like goes up the, up the wall, like across the top of the doorway and then back down, you know what I mean? And then it stops and that's when they scream or whatever, and the door opens, and they said, "Oh well, we were chasing this dog that ran outside." Oh right, and, yeah. Uh, that the house lures the men outside. Outside, so that divide and torment, conquer. So it could torment the girls. So I thought that yes. was very interesting too. Um, that happened in the book too, because I thought they thought that it was the guys that were making the the noises and trying to scare them. You know what I mean? But when they find out, no, we were chasing this dog or whatever outside in the garden. You know, I mean, then, then they kind of look at each other like uh, another creepy factor. I ain't gonna lie, is when she's having that, uh, hearing those noises, and she's like, "Theo, hold my, hold my hand," and she's like, "Who's squeezing my hand so hard?" You know yes, I, mean? I was like, <laughs> and then you know, she she wakes up screaming or whatever, and she's like over in a chair now, covered up, and she's like not even in the, over in the bed where she was, and she's like, "Who was holding my hand?" And I was like. I got something at the end of the notes that kind of explains what it was or who they think it was. So we'll get to that here in a minute. But kind of experience about it was, anyways. Yeah, it was yeah, pretty it's, crazy. It's interesting enough. Like I think uh, in this one, like it was right to focus on Eleanor as a character, her losing her mind, especially. But like, man, this movie was done so well. I almost wish the other characters got more time to shine, or they had like it almost feels like if like 
if like right, they already did a Netflix series about this apparently, which I haven't watched yet. But uh, you haven't watched yeah. it? No, I haven't watched a Netflix show at all. I, I really go on Netflix nowadays. Um, just it's, personal reasons. It's but, it's not the same thing, Kyle. It, they may have the same totally name, different, but it's totally different. Yeah, but but what I was gonna go go on for the say is like I almost feel like this film like. You can almost make a whole other separate series or films from the other characters' perspectives on each scene and how they're individually being haunted by the house in their own civic way. Because there's a lot of opportunities, I think, for that in this own film. They actually show like so many characters have different experiences, but I think it was right to focus on Eleanor for this film because it does draw you into her character better than anyone else, obviously. So, but still, like, you know, you know, six there, half dozen another, you know, that's another film I wish I could have seen that would have been a very different film, but also entertaining, I think. Well, well, let I'll, let me let me write this down real quick so I don't forget. Uh, you want to come around something later? <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm going to bring this up at the end, um, just because I don't want it. It'll take a while to discuss this. Um, All right, just uh, we'll patter for time. <laughs> that's not, uh, there. You go. I got it down now. So uh, I'll have to come back to that. That's a good good point that I want to make. Uh, okay. According to Robert Wise, the spiral staircase provided some unique challenges. It was scary when you were up there mm. on that thing, and it was rocking around. The one shot we did on it that fascinates people the most is when the camera is at the bottom and goes up. We designed the banister on the uh, of the stairway to be so wide and thick that it would small uh, fit a small rig with wheels on it, uh, a light little dolly that would simply hold a small handheld camera. We had our camera on that, and we had a control wire underneath all the way down. We simply took the camera up to the top of the rig, started it, and rolled it down, and then we reversed the film. And it was all done on that uh, balustrade. So another interesting camera technique that they used. Because that was creepy too, man. I was a little unnerving because I was like, she's never going to make it to the top of the staircase. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, yeah, that thing is just a death trap in itself. I love it. She just kept walking and walking. I'm like, man, just get to the top already. Um, With the majority of the film's action taking place inside the house, Robert Rice took the time to build Smith slowly and deliberately by paying careful attention to each scene. By keeping the small cast together in the various rooms of the house, Wise emphasized the claustrophobic nature of the story, which helped to increase the dramatic tension, which I think we've already touched on a little bit. Uh, moving on. Um, according to Russ Tambrin, uh, Robert Wise approached a society that kept track of British haunted houses, and they gave him a list of such places. So that's pretty cool. Uh, this is including in the book uh, the 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die, uh, which was edited by Steven Schneider. Uh, which I have a copy of. Uh, most of the film uh, was shot through lenses to add curvature to the walls, making the house even more strange, which Christine said it was because it was a broken Panavision camera, which is pretty cool, or not totally furbished. It's like, you know, if you go to buy a refurbished iPad and didn't get the extended warranty and you bring it home and it's not working the next day, <laughs> something like that. It's, it's kind of like a task failed successfully kind of thing. Like it's broken in just the perfect way for this movie. <laughs> okay, Christine, you'll find this interesting. Uh, Russ Tamlin, who played who? Kyle? Luke. Russ Tamlin. Luke, right. Did he play Luke? Did I think he played Luke, right? Yeah, um, Luke. Yeah, Luke. Yes. Okay. Yes, he played Luke. Did you know that in the 2018 TV series The Haunting of Hill House, he has an uncredited cameo as Nils Psychiatrist? Oh, interesting. So I, I'm, I'm going to have to watch that Netflix series again to see if I can't pick that up. So I think yeah. that's pretty cool. Awesome. A little small world moment. Yep. Uh, Doctor, here's something interesting, too. Dr. Markaway says early on, makes you expect to find a disembodied hand in the sauce. Eleanor later holds a disembodied hand while sleeping, then cries, whose hand was I holding? Still, even later on, 
Dr. Markway forcibly leads Eleanor by the hand down the spiral staircase. So that's a that's great storytelling right there. Or attention to detail. Uh, this one really struck me. Some scenes uh, in this movie uh, was an inspiration for the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Interesting. Do what? Made considered for a ride or an attraction, you said? What did you say? The inspiration for the uh, Haunted Mansion at Disneyland and Di- uh, Disney World. Oh, oh you ever been to either one of those? I have. Oh, no, Disneyland, not Disney World. I've been to the one in Florida. But Kyle, it's a it's a, basically a ride you get in, and it goes through a haunted house and turns and everything, and and there's different like architect in there and, and all that, and then at the end it turns and there's a ghost sitting in between you and the person you're riding with the car. At least yeah, I went to. That sounds awesome. I it always first have the haunted mansion as I've seen the Eddie Murphy movie. The, okay, the, stop. The, Doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, there's a new one coming out. I think just next year, actually. It's, <laughs> Sorry, but, see what I have to deal with Christine on a weekly basis. This yeah, guy yeah. That, that, all he knows is like if I say the Nutty Professor, he's like, oh, the Eddie Murphy, and I'm like, yeah, no, Eddie Murphy. <laughs> way back in the day. <laughs> uh. Lois Maxwell plays the doctor's wife, Grace Markaway, which I thought she did a really good job, too, because she she came in there and she's like, I don't think anything's wrong. And then she's like, who are you? And she's like, I'm his wife. And she's like, you know, and then Eleanor's mind starts going in. Well, he didn't tell me he was married. You know, and, right. she goes on. and there's a there's a, a phrase in there where I think it's Theo comes out to her and says. Hey, you know, is old day or whatever. Tristan's waiting for you. So that whole Spanish love story there, um, that was a movie, too. Um but anyway, she uh, she began her at the same time of her career when she was beginning this. She was also beginning her stint playing James Bond's Miss Moneypenny. So that's cool too. I didn't know she was in the James Bond movies. Yeah. Um, the veranda where Old Miss Abby's companion and her romantic tryst with the farmhand is the same spot where Doctor Markway and Eleanor, who has a secret crush on him, have an embrace when he prevents her from falling over the ledge. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if you pay attention, which will uh, the last point I'm going to make, it'll have a lot of that in there. The stuff that you saw at the beginning of the movie was very important because it's actually referenced later on in the film. And I didn't know that till I read this. So that's why I was going back and watching it. Um, the three disembodied voices that haunt the house can be identified as Hugh Crane, the deceitful companion and young Abigail Crane. The infamous bending door scene. Uh, was achieved by yeah. constructing a prop door composed of laminated wood. Uh, and then while filming, the bending effect was caused by having a strong stagehand push on the door with a timber. So that was pretty That was pretty good special effects. I'm not going to lie. Effective use of a small budget, really. You know, this, right. this is kind of like yeah. a real filmmaking back in the day in so many ways. <laughs> so the events at the house during Dr. Uh, Markway's visit are best explained as being caused by spirits a person shown living in the prologue or the house itself. So this is my last official note before we go into discussion. The banging noises at night accompanied by a witch's cackling and door being bent as Abigail's nurse companion mocking her employer rapping to come to her aid. The mm. muffled sermon and child crying that Eleanor hears one night are Hugh Crane and his young daughter Abigail. Abigail's spirit squeezes Eleanor's hand as she endures more enlightenment from her cruel father. The written spirit message, help Eleanor come home, is the house's command to other members of Dr. Markaway's party to help Eleanor become another one of its spirits. The house then lures Eleanor into climbing the spiral staircase and leaning over its top at the very spot where Abigail's nurse companion hanged herself, which nearly causes Eleanor to fall to her death, but she was rescued by Dr. Markaway 
Uh, after seeing Mrs. Uh, Markway's startling reappearance from the tower, you, you know, she comes to that trap door and everybody thought, oh, I thought she was dead like a ghost. I was like, what, right. what is going on here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the house tries Crazy. again once more using uh, Mrs. Markway to distract Eleanor, which she does uh, when she dies after crashing her car into that tree. Eleanor's dialogue at the end confirms that she has become another one of the house of spirits. So um, I think it's pretty cool how they tied all the, the prologue um, you know the deaths and the, uh, the the cranes, and and actually use those later on in the movie. So here's here's my 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 question to you guys at the end. Do you think Eleanor was having a mental breakdown or a nervous breakdown and imagining all of this, or do you think it was really the haunted house drawing her to it? Or do you think it was both? Oh, um, I, I, I'm definitely in the mindset of both. And I think this is part of what the film does so well, in my opinion, is that Eleanor is incredibly vulnerable in this moment of the film and is desperately seeking some kind of escape from her, uh, uh, you know, kind of. Uh, a, not really, really like pathetic, I would think, but like, again, a sad or a life that she views of disappointment and disdain that she's desperately trying to find anything at all, like stay at this mansion, get your name out there, meet somebody, meet new people, find a way of like making herself into the life she wants to live. And so she's incredibly vulnerable at this point. And the house just does do so little just to push her right over the edge. So I think it's definitely both where like she is at her worst, she's at her most vulnerable and the, the haunting is taking immediate effective, uh, you know, advantage of that. It's like a, a predator looking at injured prey and just seizing the moment to find this person who's incredibly easy to manipulate. So, like, in many sense, I don't think she's like she's mentally ill at the very beginning or something like that, but she's very clearly, like, you know, susceptible to being manipulated by the house, and the house takes great advantage of that. So, I, I think, like, I don't think Eleanor was necessarily the crazy one. I think the house made her that way. And she, because it saw the opportunity and took it. You know, in its own malevolent uh, style, or the tree, as you kind of said at the beginning there. Yeah, Christine, what do you think? Yeah, I think Eleanor is incredibly vulnerable because she just lost her mother, who she was a caretaker for for ten years, and I think um, the house just preyed upon her and wanted her, and just just slowly, because um, in the book they're there for a week. And just slowly worked its way into her mind and just seduced her. In the book, it's almost like it seduced her and she just fell in love with the house. Because in the book, she is slowly taken in by the house and she has a little free will. Like there's parts in the book where she almost kind of says herself, run, run. Like when she first gets there, she has a moment where she's talking with the caretaker and says, no, I'm supposed to be here. Let me in. And then she says to herself, no, turn around, run. But then she keeps going. So she almost has a little bit of free will, but the house just slowly overtakes her mind. So I, I don't think she's, she's mentally ill as much as she's just so terribly vulnerable. And um, the the people they the other people they're like Theodore and the doctor they can't quite see how vulnerable she is. And by the time they do, and they try and get her to leave because 
in the movie, they have Luke that's going to take her and going to drive her. But in the book, they make her get in the car by herself and they force her to leave by herself. And as she's driving out, she um, she's like, oh, <clears throat> you know, I they want me to leave, but I don't want to leave. I belong here. I'm supposed to be here. And she points her car towards the tree. And the very last second, she says to herself, wait a minute, what am I doing? I don't want to hit the tree, but it's too late. So at the very end, you know, she kind of has a little bit of that free will, but yeah, the house house is just too strong. My question is another question um, that I was going to bring up earlier when Kyle was talking. Do you think that the house picked on Eleanor because she was the weak minded one? Oh, yeah, for sure. Do yeah. you think do you think that the house um had Eleanor picked uh, Dr. Markley picked Eleanor because they already knew that's who needed to or do you think that was just random luck? I think it was random luck because he Dr. Markley he picked that house because it was a haunted house so he had it picked out and he sent letters I think he had in the book he had a list of like 20 people that it had um, paranormal experiences, but only Theodore and Eleanor were the only ones that responded. What What is it that Eleanor was supposed to have? Uh, oh, happened to her? The gift, the gift that he would want her there. I'm trying to remember at the in the movie. I know Theo was a parapsychologist or something like that, right? Yeah, uh, she could read uh, the the minds or whatever. Oh, the, the cards, yeah. yeah. Eleanor had an experience when she was, uh, when her and her sister were children, they had uh, stones come down on their house for a period of a week or two. So it was, it was almost, I think, um, poltergeist activity. Yeah, that's what they but, actually say in the Wikipedia page. Too. And yeah, it's like, it was like the only reported case that the government admits to, I think they also said. Like, it's like, it's something like that, yeah. Poltergeist. And that's why Markway has the interest in her, too. Mm. Mm-hmm. But then she denied it. Like, she pushed it down so far that she'd actually kind of forgotten about it. And when she came to the house, um, she really, I don't think, even really knew why he had invited her because she kept thinking it, that it was a vacation. Like, And I think I mentioned earlier that um, she's like, well, this is the only thing that's ever happened to me. You know, that was all she kept thinking was, you know, this is the only thing that's ever happened to me. And um, And he had said to her, well, you know, you had, you know, stones come down at your house. And she's like, well, no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. And and then she said, "Well, no, mother said that was that the neighbors because you know they didn't like us or or she said we were too good for them or something like that." So she had just kind of blocked that whole um, experience out. Do yeah. Do you think that uh, the doctor had a thing for Eleanor? No, in the book he was much older, and he was more of like a fatherly grandfather. Right, but I'm talking about in the movie. Do you think oh. that he? Do you think there was a connection I, there, or do you think he was just genuinely concerned no. for her? He was genuinely concerned for her, and I think he regretted inviting her there, and that's why they wanted her to leave because they could tell that she was uh, mentally unstable and that she was breaking down and, and needed to get out of there. Yeah, I would say going back to the last question that you just had too. Um, yeah, I, I don't think Markway like selected Eleanor because she knew, like, because he knew the house would target her as the weakest link. I think um, she, he, he's his answers are genuine and sincere and like why he chose her. Cause he thought he might be, you know, an interesting um, person to choose in the first place, but the house itself is a malevolent force that will always choose 
the weakest link, the weakest link in this chain of people, regardless. So if it's not Eleanor, it'll be the next person down the line who's the weakest to be succumbed to it. And that'll be the thing the house targets and will probably succeed at because, you know, that's it's horror that, that the house always wins. You know, um, that cliche. The house um, always wins. Yeah. <laughs> would you would you have liked to seen a sequel? Where Eleanor is actually one of the spirits now. Uh, I think it stands alone. I think you could do it, but I don't necessarily know if it would be good or not. You know, and I agree. I think like yeah. if you had Eleanor as a spirit, like at that point you have to you have to answer more questions. And as soon as you answer more questions, things get less terrifying because it's never it's never as good as what the the viewer has in their imagination. You know, if I said it was built on an old Indian graveyard, then it's just back to the it's back to the poltergeist again. And it's like, eh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's immediately not as horrifying <laughs> as just yeah. I, I don't think it needs it. You know? Right. So as we're wrapping up, uh Christine, what what are your overall thoughts on this movie? And do you think people should see it? And if you were gonna rate it out of a let's say a scale of one to ten, where would you put this movie? Oh, I definitely recommend it, especially if you like a good classic um horror film that really makes you think because it's it's not blood and gore you know if you're into slasher films and stuff like that you're not going to like it but if you like a good psychological thriller i highly recommend it i would give it like a eight out of ten eight out of ten kyle yeah uh yeah i i completely agree like it's one of those things like it's it's a really rewarding film to dive to dig into. As soon as you dig deeper into it, there's a lot more rewarding answers to get from. From like the, the opening scene there, that kind of sets up all the hauntings that go in later in the film, and Eleanor's mental breakdown to what all the characters' motives really are going forward. Um, it's a really interesting film um, to just you know continue to investigate and get answers to, and a really cool little like chunk of you know good horror suspense. And so yeah, if I was going to get a rating, I would probably say like in, at the very least for me, it's a very very strong seven, if not an eight. I feel like I'm running between there, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say low eight. <laughs> like it's 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 an eight in my opinion uh, for overall rating of this film, and I think it's excellent. Um, it's certainly well worth watching if you're any kind of suspense or horror fan at all. Then like it's a film you kind of need to check out just to see the uh, the initial foundations of horror in so many ways, as this being such an early film and uh, really sets up for like how other films built upon it in so many ways, and you know suspense and psychological horror. Um, so I really like it a lot. Jimbo, how do you feel about it overall? Well. You know, I kind of get like an a Alfred Hitchcock vibe from it. Um, it it, it kind of takes me back to the movie Vertigo, how you know how some of the camera angles would they would turn or they would always focus on the cherubims. Like if they would leave room, you'd see one of the <laughs> cherubims, like mm. almost on everyone or a gargoyle. Um, I think it's beautifully shot, and I think from the beginning of the film, as they're going through the prologue, it's got you hooked already. Now, when it got to the part where Eleanor was arguing with her was it her aunt or whatever it's been when she was one in the car or whatever her sister, whatever it oh, was sister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that kind of took me out of me. They, they, they captured me right here. And then that kind of drawed me back a little bit. You know what I mean? And then they got back, you know, when they got back to the house and she's pulls up and that gatekeepers there. Um, but I think, I think that part was necessary to show you what was going on in Eleanor's head already. Um, the struggles that she had went through. And then, um, don't, don't they even say, uh, was there a sister that said that you killed our mother or somebody says you killed mother or whatever? Um, or it was mother. Theo's was character was implying that she killed her mother. Theo, yeah. was it Theo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Theo picked on her an awful lot uh, in the movie, at least. Um, you know, she says uh, she says something where she goes storming out onto the veranda. You know what I mean? And 
and she's like theo you need to go check on her and you know she's like oh i was just having fun or you know what i mean and um so it's very interesting to see the different characters that were at the house how they played out throughout the house and the uh like luke man i mean he's just like yeah whatever you know <laughs> he's just there for i'm gonna inherit this all day you know i can make it a nice yeah, yeah luke's just you know, excited to get a, get a house <laughs> you know he's like oh how much can i make on tours <laughs> and you know he's just yeah, yeah. all over the place uh so i like luke I, yeah I'd, I'd probably give it a seven and a half eight um definitely well worth a watch um has anybody watched the uh the one from the 90s no no 1999 apparently had uh who, who who directed that film? Um, Jen Debunt, yeah, starring Liam Neeson and Catherine Zeta, Catherine Zeta, Zeta Jones. Jones. Owen Wilson. I think I have like, seen. I this want movie. to see that film, but I think I have. Terrible. I think I have seen this movie, but it was unforgettable if I remember. Correctly. It says here, yes, this version was this version was heavily panned by critics and audiences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Christine, we thank you for joining us on our show tonight. Um, you're more than welcome to come back and cover any movie you want with us. Um, oh, just thank have to you. Find the time. Uh, hope you had fun. Um, if anybody would like to follow us on our Facebook group, it is the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast a group on Facebook. Uh, we have a lot of fun on there. Um, just for the record, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. I like to throw <laughs> that out there every once in a while because that goes back from the way beginnings of this uh, podcast uh, where I that's like the divide. It's a Christmas movie. It's not a Christmas movie. So. Uh, we have a lot of fun. It's not a Christmas movie. Yeah. It's a great movie. movie. <laughs> so, I, do, uh, I do like that movie, though. Yeah. Uh, if you want to write us an email, uh, the tragedy of cinema uh, at gmail.com. Um, and the best thing you do is tell a friend, tell your family member, steal your kids' phone and download our, download all our episodes on their phone. It's our grandkids. Like a fruitcake. Just like, here, you have to have this. <laughs> so, uh, well, thanks for coming on. And Kyle, I think that this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. <laughs>